Hey, welcome to the Mid-City Church Sermon Cast. If you don't know me, my name is Fernie, and I'm the pastor here at Mid-City Church. I'm so glad that you're joining us as we start this new series on our uh, Gather, Grow, Give. As we talk about uh, what it is that we do at Mid-City Church and why it's so important. And so I've invited my friend Taylor to come and to uh, share these next three weeks so that you can hear an outside perspective, uh, uh, somebody who's not in Mid-City every single week, uh, about why gathering and growing and giving are so important and so vital to our Christian journey. So I'm really excited he's joining us. I hope I know you will learn a lot from him, and I just can't wait for you to, to hear what he has to say. So get ready, because here we go. So for the next three weeks, uh, we're going to be taking a pretty deep dive into exploring why we do what we do, or at least why Mid-City Church focuses its time and efforts on gathering, growing, and giving. So those are three main things that anyone involved at Mid-City Church uh, is really asked and expected to try to do. And the short answer to it, to that why, is they're deeply rooted in Scripture, modeled after the ways of Jesus and the way that he did ministry, and shown to us in large by John Wesley uh, and the early Methodist church. So those three words, gather, grow, and give, are very general Christian terms. It's nothing necessarily unique to Mid-City Church, um, but they are the three things that John Wesley's theology really focused on. Uh, Obviously enough, because these three words, when done well, spur the church to do uh, what it's called to do, and, and to do it really well, and that's to reflect the kingdom of God. The ultimate call of the church uh, is to help people see the kingdom of God more clearly than they did before they encountered it, right? So, how do we do it? How do we, how do we reflect the kingdom of God using these three words? Uh, to, today, we're going to focus on the word grow. Now, the general understanding of growth when it concerns our knowledge and our understanding of God's love for us is is that we have to be very committed to that, God's love, and understanding God's love in order to grow. Uh, However, John Wesley would say, uh, well, he said something that kind of makes me think otherwise. It's God that worketh in you, therefore work out your own salvation. So God works within you whether you realize it or not. There's a really fancy church word for this called provenient grace. It's the type of grace that we experience um, before we come to understand God's love for us and what Jesus did for us, right? And because of that, it doesn't really matter where you are in your faith journey. You can work out your own salvation. But how do we work out our own salvation? So John Wesley was deeply committed to having ways in which he connected with God each and every day. Kind of the background on that and where that came from is that his mom was a Puritan, uh, and and he kind of she kind of instilled these pretty rigid practices in all of her kids. Um, she would expect them to sit down and pray and read scripture every single day. She would have weekly, hour long conversations with them uh, about their faith and about the things that they were doing to grow in their faith. Uh, but it was kind of the definitive issue. This this 
doing other things to grow in your faith besides just going to church um, and taking communion, which was what Wesley was experiencing as an Anglican priest. Uh, it was, was kind of the definitive issue that caused him to start the Methodist movement. Uh, it, it's really what was missing for him. And so he did something about it. He began meeting with a group of roughly four to five other men. He was a professor at a university, um, and it was really simple. They began talking about their faith, how they connected with God, and where they were falling short. And eventually, they kind of collectively came up with six ways to best connect with and grow in their understanding of God's grace. And these are popularly known as the means of grace, um, the means in which Wesley and others connected with God's grace. So those ways are searching the scripture, prayer, communion, conferencing, which in kind of modern terms would just mean getting in small groups together, uh, abstinence, and, and that word is um, a popular word, but John Wesley really meant abstinence from anything, right? Fasting is another way to say it, uh, and that, but that even corners that one, saying that you have to fast from food, right? Um, abstinence is, for us and for a lot of faith traditions, popularly practiced around Lent. Basically, it's where we just give something up uh, for the sake of growing deeper in our love and understanding of God, right? That's the only one that a lot of people have, a, have trouble grasping. But, and then the last one is acts of mercy. And acts of mercy just meant doing something for somebody else, often filling some sort of physical need for somebody else, right? So for us, that maybe looks like feeding the homeless. Um, maybe that looks like when we, like Mid City Church just did a food drive, that would be, John Wesley would definitely consider that an act of mercy. So the Oxford Club, as they referred to themselves, committed to practicing these six things very regularly, uh, and they kept each other accountable. And I think as we go through this, that's the most important part of our growth is to have people around us that keep us accountable uh, in our growth. And so I know that's everything that you've ever wanted to know about the origin of kind of this Wesleyan heritage and this Wesleyan theology that we follow. But how does this translate to you? I could give you this history lesson and then I could say, okay, now go do it. Uh, but I don't think that's very fair, right? What are the sacred rhythms uh, in your life? How do you grow in your connection with and your understanding of God's grace? And answering that how question of these spiritual disciplines, sacred rhythms, means of grace, whatever you want to call them, is really different for everyone, right? So a 15-year-old may find praying before a test or getting together with friends pretty easy. But the thought of sitting in worship and taking communion just doesn't fit their vibe very well. It's not something they really connect with. If you're in your mid to late 20s, you may have built a rhythm of reading the Bible and going to worship regularly, but your prayer life seems to be lacking. There's this disconnect. Maybe you just can't connect with people as easily as you did in college, so getting involved in a small group is hard. Or maybe you're what we call a more seasoned adult. Um, you're in your 40s, 50s, 60s, and beyond, and you've found that your rhythms are stale, right? You have them, but they just don't help you connect with God like they once did. We're all in different places, and we have to recognize that to be kind of this proper biblical community. But wherever you find yourself right now, whether you're doing nothing or you're trying everything you can to connect with God, I challenge you to try something new. So we can get very comfortable in our rhythms, and if we sit in that comfort for too long, we kind of just begin to plateau, right? 
that's kind of this thing. We're not experiencing any growth, and we don't really know what that is. Uh, so for me, I can compare it to a bodybuilder. Not that I am a bodybuilder, but I know that they change up their exercise routines quite frequently, right? So the most advanced bodybuilder uh, will change their exercise routine even just slightly every six to eight weeks. Um, there's an immense amount of scientific data that supports this, that after six weeks or so, give or take, your muscles become very familiar with the exercises that you're doing. They adapt and they literally stop growing because nothing is prompting that muscle to grow. So what's the bodybuilder's solution? They lift heavier weight. They change the type of lift that they're doing, right? So they'll do a, a different exercise. They'll exercise more frequently or, or less frequently with a higher intensity, right? They, they, they're very meticulous about the way that they change it up because they know that it's what's needed to prompt growth. That change and that consistent change is what's needed to prompt growth. And then miraculously, or maybe not so much, they begin to grow. And it's a cycle. They're constantly adapting the way that they grow in their craft. So here's my question for you. Are you adapting? Are you changing the way that you connect with God? Are you trying new things when some things don't work? Or are you doing the same thing over and over again? And I can't tell you what to do, but I want you to consider the six ways that we kind of talked about previously that Wesley used to connect with God. And to make it really practical, maybe just pick one. Pick one that you're not currently doing or one that seems difficult and try to work that into your routine and continue to grow it until it becomes a regular part of your life. Refresh those spiritual disciplines. And inevitably, when it gets difficult, we can turn to the people around us, those who are also trying to follow Jesus, and we can ask for help. Because thanks be to God that we don't have to follow Jesus alone. And that's really where I want to go next, kind of the second question in all of this. Who helps us grow? See, I think there was a tremendous method to Jesus' madness while he was on the earth, and I think it played a, a, a tremendous role in the way that he did ministry and shared his message. So Jesus understood very early on that in order to be effective, he would need the right people around him. So he went out, and he found them. Um, now, I'm not going to read every instance where the Gospels show that Jesus called his disciples, um, but maybe we can include it somewhere for you to find later. Um, but really, it's in Mark chapter 1, Mark chapter 2, Matthew 18 through 22, John 1, and then Luke 5. But really, what all of those say is that Jesus called ordinary people. He called fishermen and tax collectors. And over the course of Jesus' ministry, he grew really close to these guys. But what strikes me is something that Jesus says in John 15, 15. And, and it really, I can't, I love this passage so much because one, it shows the humanity of Jesus, right? Um, Jesus was fully God, but he's also fully human. And it's, and it's passages like this um, that really, really strike me, especially when it comes to this, this finding our people and having community. So he says this, No longer do I call you servants. For the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. I actually, so I would actually encourage you to read the rest of that passage through verse 17. But the main point I want to grab out of that is that the people who Jesus chose to be around began as people that he didn't know. Um, to our knowledge, he knew that he wanted to call these people, but they didn't know who he was. And he didn't really know who they were, not fully. But as he spent time with them, 
And as he read scripture with them, and as he prayed with them, he began to call them friend. And really, he began to call them some of his closest friends. And that's a prime example of biblical community, what that's supposed to look like. The people we choose to grow with aren't just any old people. You spend enough time with them, and they become some of your closest and most trustworthy friends. Friends that can hold you accountable in your growth. Uh, and I think they, they do, as, as the author of Hebrews says, that really this is what friends should do, friends in Christ should do. Uh, it comes from Hebrews 10.24, and let us consider how to spur one another on toward love and good deeds. The main cornerstone of growth in our relationship with Jesus is accountability that the people around us give. It really changes everything. So that's challenge number two. Find your people. Invest time in those people. And let them invest in you. There's a, there's a level of vulnerability that comes with this. Um, we have to be open to people helping us grow, and we have to be open to helping other people grow. So kind of the last question I come to with this is I want to answer the why. I always seek to answer why because I think the church has this long history of not answering why. Um, the church, and we, we can go way back with this, but the church always speaks in absolute terms and says, you should do this because the authority of Scripture says so. And I'm not questioning the authority of Scripture. I think, I think Scripture holds a, a tremendous sense of authority, right? But I think we're also allowed to ask why. I think if we're not asking why and we're not bringing different things like, like reasoning to the table— um, I think we may grow stagnant in our faith. I think that would actually be the opposite of, of this growth that we're trying to seek. Uh, and so I'm not really going to do much better, though, <laughs> because a part of my answer to this why, uh, why do we grow, is, is actually found in Scripture. But I have to bring a little bit more depth to it than because it says so. Uh, but the short answer to why do we grow in our faith is to share the truth and love of Jesus in order to make more disciples. And it's not just making disciples to add to our numbers. Um, that would be pretty empty. But John Wesley actually says, he says it this way. The church changes the world not by making converts, but by making disciples. There's a fundamental difference there, right? A convert versus a disciple. A convert is someone who just assimilates into the fold, uh, and there's not much else to it. But this whole growth process we've talked about for ourselves has been how to make disciples, right? How to make disciples out of ourselves. And when we begin to experience this love and this grace that God gives to us, um, I think we can't help but want that for other people, right? Growth in our walk with Christ should prompt us to want others to experience this love that we feel from God uh, and the love that we feel from those around us. One way to know that we're growing in our love for God is to see ourselves growing in our love for others, right? And it's Jesus' final instruction to us in a passage that has become kind of known as the Great Commission that really shows me and hopefully shows you that, that this is one of our, our greatest obligations. He says this in Matthew 28, 19 through 20, "'Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them, and I think this is really key, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. When I read this passage, 
that teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you is, is really key here. Jesus isn't saying, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, period, right? That's, not, that's a part of the goal, but he's saying, go and make disciples and then teach them. Don't just go. That, that, I think that's the key difference between a convert and a disciple. A convert would be someone that we just go and share the message of Jesus with, and then we leave them there. What this is saying is to make disciples, you have to teach them to observe all that Jesus has commanded you. You have to teach them all that you've come to understand, and that is what brings them, and to what John Wesley would say, that, that's actually what changes the world. So here's what I want you to leave with today. I just kind of want to bring it all together because I know that was a lot. But first, find your people. Find those that can hold you accountable in this growth. Establish your rhythms. Pick something new. Or if you've done them all, right, try them in a new way. There are so many different ways to pray, so many different ways to read Scripture, so many different acts of mercy that we can engage in that you, there's got to be something new for you to choose. And finally, show someone else how to do the same. I think a lot of times as the church, we get stuck in the fact that, that we are so focused on ourselves that we forget that that should cause us to show someone else how to do what we're doing and how to experience what we're experiencing. Because I believe if we can follow this pattern of growth, um, it very, very well may change the world. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Mid-City Church Sermoncast. If you'd like to dive deeper, visit midcity.church slash sermoncast to find a home sheet that goes along with this message. On the home sheet, you'll find scriptures, questions to wrestle with, and a challenge that goes along with this sermoncast. I want to invite you to support our ministry here at Mid-City Church by giving today. To give, text the word GIVE, G-I-V-E, to the phone number 225-307-0662. Thanks and see you next week.